So um, Hebrews 13.1, uh, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, um, there are a number of occasions in the scripture uh, that are significant, some that are, uh, you know, less impactual, but the two that immediately spring to mind are uh, Abraham and Sarah inviting, uh, basically, this, this scripture describes as three angels, and we discover in that that one of them is the Lord himself, uh, you know, move forward to the New Testament, and there, and there are you know, marked occasions where similar things happen, but consider the two brothers on the road to Emmaus, and they're with Jesus, receiving one of the most profound Bible studies, uh, which doesn't get recorded in the scripture, unfortunately. We're just summarily told that beginning in Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, essentially, Jesus explains every occurrence that was a reference to himself. Um, that would be quite a Bible study, uh, to say the least. And uh, they don't recognize him as being Jesus until he breaks bread. He, well, he lifts the bread and breaks it, and uh, that seems to be uh, his customary method of, of praying over a meal. And it's, it may be, be the custom that, you know, the uh, sort of, behavioral pattern that they recognized, whatever. Uh, it was revealed to them in that moment that, that it was Jesus, and then he disappears, and they're enthralled uh, with the experience that they just have and talked about how their hearts burned within them. So, uh, you know, you never know. Um, the Scripture says that right now, as we sit here in this room, that this room is filled with angelic hosts. That's something to think about. Okay, they minister to us, seemingly bringing us. So those the, the message of the gospel. You know, consider wasn't there a time probably in your life where you were diametrically opposed to church, the Word of God, the Bible, and um, you know, be it that um, you know uh, conversations or circumstances compelled. Oh, here you sit, and and this is what the Scripture is saying that the angelic hosts were at least a portion of that steering, of that bringing us into the place of submission and subjection uh, to the Lord. And again, that they're here amongst us right now. Um, specifically, Paul addresses uh, the fact that um, members of a congregation should be behave themselves in ways that are godly, I'm being very generic, uh, so that we don't bring offense to the angels that are amongst us. It's a remarkable thought that, that uh, you know, think about it. If uh, someone, take it as, as a person, someone has done everything they could uh, to clear circumstances and provide transportation and, you know, make the way clear and they bring you to church and then you get to church and you're acting up, you know, they brought you here <laughs> and, and, and they want you to receive the message and they want you to hear, they want you to grow and they want you to be nurtured. 
by this and uh, you're in the back row shooting spitballs. You know what I'm saying? I just, you know, or, or however it goes. Uh, there needs to be a reverential respect to the fact that there is an unseen realm, that, that there are angelic forces that are at work in our favor. Uh, you know, there are certainly the demonic and lots of people get very fascinated with that sort of thing. But here we're being encouraged in regard to the angelic and uh, to be responsive to that. Um, entertaining angels. Maybe when you were, you know, maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I, I thought that, but the guy turned out to be a creep. You know, he came into my house and blah, blah. Well, maybe we could extend this a little further and say that the angelic host who was compelling that individual into your home that you are trying to minister to, well, you know, accompanying them, you were entertaining angels in the midst of entertaining a stranger. So, so you don't you don't want to parse this out too far to where you convince yourself that you haven't participated in this. My suspicion is when we stand in the presence of the Lord, there's going to be a lot revealed to us that we were unaware of that was going on all around us in the circumstances of what the Lord has done. So unwittingly entertaining angels, very much confirmed by the scripture. And there are lots of examples through practical experience that uh, can be relayed from the body of Christ even today. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Listen, I want to address something about jail ministry, right? You all know uh, that was part of how I came to the Lord. I, I really had already surrendered my life to Christ. And so in attending those church services, you know, in 1989 that were going on, I was being taught as a Christian. And my conversion had already occurred. That's why I turned myself into the police. Um, uh, but uh, the point was that it's often misplaced within the body of Christ, uh, the, the responsibility and role with this. And we want to take care on both ends. And I'll describe what I mean. Jesus, uh, you know, uh, tells us that he's going to gather all the nations together. He's going to divide the sheep from the goats and he's going to, send uh, those who he refers to as goats to hell and and then tell those that are uh, sheep obedient to him uh, that they can enter into his rest. And, um, you know, the, the goats protest their people, obviously. It's just a symbolic thing. And they say, you know, didn't we cast out demons in your name? You know, depart from me. I never knew you. And then there's that one description where uh, they, uh, you know, he says, I, I was hungry. And you didn't feed me. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. And uh, when when was that? As much as you've done it to the least of these. So uh, from there, the church says, okay, so we got to like feed everybody that's hungry. We've got to clothe everybody that needs clothes. And, and we've got to go visit all the prisoners in prison. Well, listen, um, he specifically says, as much as you've done it unto my brethren. Okay. He's referring to there and then also here, those that are imprisoned for their faith, right? This isn't the guy who robbed the jewelry store that you need to now go visit him in prison, okay? I go, I go do jail ministry and preach the gospel to those guys. And, you know, here I am bringing it up today and I finish 
my shopping this afternoon and turn around and one of those inmates is standing face to face with me saying, Pastor Will, with his hand out. And I shake his hand. We talk for a few minutes and I encourage him. He wanted to just have that quick conversation, I could tell, and thank me for having done those services. But I won't let go and I'm saying you need to come to church. He doesn't want to have that portion of the conversation, okay, which I'm not offended with, right? I mean, some people have to be beaten into the kingdom. So <laughs> the Lord will get him in time and do his work, and, and that's that's between him and the Lord. I think I he, you hear some of what I'm throwing around here is that um, you know, out of fear, oh, I don't want to stand in front of the Lord and hear, depart from me, I never knew you, so I'll just go visit every inmate that I can. I'll feed every homeless person that I can. I'll just I'll give them away my coat every chance I get. Um, you know, the Lord is literally talking about those that are his children, right? And, and here's why, right? Because there are those creeps out there that go, wait a minute, the church is giving out free food? Well, I'll just quit my job. You know, I can go to the soup kitchen and, and get fed. I can go down there and get clothes. I, you know, I'll, 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 here I am sitting in jail, and I'll ask the minister to go give all, you know, my family uh, Christmas presents. Well, listen, I want to give Christmas presents. I want to help out. I want to feed. I want to clothe. But the problem is there's a bunch of people that are taking advantage. They're just living in their sin. Okay? And, and, and if we take the approach, see, if we take the approach of, well, I'm just going to cover all the bases and I'm going to give out food and give out clothes and go visit the people in prison on clothes and food and prison, clothes and food and prison, and we never use any discernment, then you're taking the Lord's resources and you are throwing them away. Okay, He specifically said, do not... Uh, lay before uh, pigs and dogs. Don't cast your pearls, right? That which is of value. Don't cast your pearls before the pigs and the dogs. The, those that are profoundly ungodly, who have no intention. What's that? that means you're going to have to use your discernment. I, I think there's an equal condemnation in just taking the approach of, I'm not even going to look at this. I'm just going to give everybody, give everybody, give everybody. You're, you're being as uninvolved. If you're not getting to know the person and find out what's going on in their life spiritually and you're just down at the soup kitchen every Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is, and you're not actually digging into somebody's life, uh, you know, take the application, right? Uh, what would it profit a man uh, to gain free lunch and lose his soul? To gain winter clothes and lose his soul. To have a visitor in prison and lose his soul. It needs to be that, you know, the giving the food, the giving the clothes, the visiting in prison is an extension of our heart. That, that we truly are desiring to see people come to know the Lord. And that's why we're functioning the way we are. Uh, I think it's just as uninvolved to just blanket cover everything with this sort of giving and involved. I find that very cheap. Um, I think it's really irresponsible uh, to be involved that way. Um, and there are organizations like Voice of the Martyr, okay, that you can literally find out where are the Christians around the world that are imprisoned for their faith, and you can send them things. 
You can support vo support Voice of the Martyr. You can send them uh, things they need in prison. You can. I'm talking about people that had their houses bulldozed in China because they had a, a home Bible study. The Chinese government found out, beat them mercilessly. You know, they're going to have brain damage for the rest of their lives, and they're in prison in their home. And, and how about this? The Chinese government, which we're so admiring of as a nation now, you know, the Chinese government bulldozes their home and every member of their extended family, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, you, you, you know, even if they're an unbeliever, to make a point that if your niece, nephew, child is you know, involved in Christianity, it's your, the Chinese government is saying to each one of those individuals, it's your responsibility to put an end to them being a Christian. Or we're coming to your house too. We're going to devastate your life. There, you know, there are more Christians, there were more Christians killed last year. How about this, you guys, than ever before in world history. You know, we hear of moments in history uh, so horrible and the things that went on and we were sh kind of shocked by it. Read, you know, Fox's Book of Martyrs if you've never done that before. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the escalation of persecution is remarkable and the things that are going on. So, so here, you know, I know I've sidelined a lot with this, but the idea of remembering those who are in prison, you know, as if chained with them, those who are ministers, those who are ministered, since you yourselves are in the body also. The idea that if they're in prison, then it imprisons you also. You, you are suffering. The whole body of Christ should be suffering uh, you know, with, with every single member that's suffering. Marriage is honorable, so we switch subjects. Uh, as the author of Hebrews is sort of putting each of these things into uh, categorical understanding. Marriage is honorable among all the bed undefiled but fornication and adulterers God will judge. Now, uh, it's important that we understand this with an entirety, right? There, there are worldly sexual practices that should never be part of a Christian's life, even if you're married. Uh, you know, we live in such a perverted world today that uh, there are those within Christianity that have brought filthy practices into their marriage. Uh, there is purity in Christ, and we do not derive our behavior from the world. Okay, what, what he's saying is don't kid yourself about fornication. Um, you know, uh, you, you know, some of these people were saying, well, I haven't committed adultery because I'm not married. And the people I've been with sexually weren't married either. So it was mutual in our understanding that we were just in it for the pleasure. So what's the harm in that? And a lot of Christianity is saying this today. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 it's only the marriage bed. You got to make the commitment. This, this, this passage right here erases all of that nonsense of, well, you know, in our hearts we're married. No, you're not. Right. And I said, you know, last week, 
that it does have to do with the legal agreement, but more than anything, it has to do with the spiritual agreement and standing before the church and making the declaration that I'm committed to this person spiritually. This, this is a lifelong commitment. There should also be the legally binding aspect of it also. But most significantly, the church and its recognition of the marriage. And don't get me wrong. You have to do both, right? Can't just have a little church ceremony and not sign the legal document also. That's still fornication. Needs to be a complete commitment of each individual in this relationship. Now, something that is often missed within this discussion is how marriage, the honorable you know, experience of sexuality within marriage is supposed to be um, binding in such a way that um, the two are becoming one. And, you know, if you're saying, well, of course, well, there's a problem in Christian marriages where there, there isn't the progress of relationship that the worldliness has polluted it to the point where it's just the pursuit of pleasure. And because that's selfish, then the relationship breaks down. And so eventually what happens in, in some cases is then there's no intimacy or rarely intimacy. And as a result, then that binding together of emotion and spirit that occurs is lost. This is why Paul has to say, do not forsake one another in this regard, right? He's, he's saying the body of the husband doesn't belong to the husband. It belongs to the wife. The body of the wife does not belong to the wife. It belongs to the husband. And you can't deny one another. There needs to be that regular intimacy between husband and wife that has all of the elements involved. It isn't just the sinful worldly practice of selfishness pursuant of sexual pleasure. It, it is also the emotional binding together and the spiritual binding together of the individuals as one. If all it is is the seeking of pleasure, then, then the relationship is not one, right? The, the individual is pursuant of their sexual desire and the other person is either pursuant or just allowing the other person to be selfish. The, 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 pra the sinful practices of the world entering into the Christian intimacy is super destructive. Super destructive. It needs to be that whatever different admixture of that's going on, that both Christians understand this is a spiritual, this is an emotional, this is a physical fulfillment that binds us together as one that must be happening regularly. And if it's not, then we need to seek the Lord together until it is, until this beca thing becomes what it's supposed to become. Uh, this is why Paul has to say there in, in Corinthians that the only time there should be the, the neglect of intimacy is when both parties have agreed to it so, so you're going to have to determine the time, right? This is going to be 
for a few days. It's going to be for a week. It's going to be for a month. We're going to fat, pray and fast from sexual intimacy in order that when we come together, these things are being fulfilled in each of our lives. That this relationship, right, it, it affects the whole family. It affects the community. It affects the church. When, when two Christian individuals are living in a marriage and not being fulfilled in this way, it, it, it has a great impact upon the individuals and upon the body of Christ. Our, our culture has so poisoned, so poisoned sexuality. And, and the church, as a result, you know, it's like post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, you know, Vietnam vet, you know, here's a gun, a car backfire and he hits the ground. You know what I'm saying? It's just overreaction in the wrong direction. You know, you're in a safe environment, man. You're with your family at the, you know, the shopping mall, like any of those exist anymore. But, you know, it just, you know, you're, you're getting your groceries and, and your, your emotional reaction from having been in Afghanistan is, you know, loud concussive noise equals death. You know, so, uh, you know, people that have lived in sexual sin, uh, you know, intimacy between husband and wife could result in, you know, sexual intimacy. Therefore, I will run for cover. That, that, that's the inappropriate response. It needs to be that if you have recognized there's something wrong, this, this isn't happening the way that it should be, then you're both seeking the Lord. And letting him heal your heart and direct you in the way that you should be so that you have a healthy relationship. Right? The two shall become one flesh. This is, this is straight out of the mouth of Jesus. Right? So, so much of uh, Christianity thinks that the Bible has little to nothing to say about sexual intimacy. God designed sex. He's got a great deal to say about the benefits and, and how this works within marriage. And when the church has gone the way of the world, then all kinds of things happen, all kinds of problems. So take to heart, dig deep, verse 4, and let the Lord lead you through the scripture about having healthy, godly, you know, controlled, discreet. You know, it isn't like the Lord wants us to be, you know, promiscuous. He's saying this needs to be a good, solid thing in, in relationships. So now in verse 5. Let your conduct uh, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Think about uh, how detailed an explanation that is of covetousness. The, the, this is saying to us that the root of covetousness is a distrust of God. God, you know, you don't need to covet. Why? Because God has said He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Well, how does that? I, I just, I really want my neighbor's, you know, stingray. <laughs> and, and and what the Lord is saying in this passage is, I'm your fulfillment. You know, if 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 you've got a thing that's nagging at your heart and pulling you away in a sinful way that I just got to have. I just want, I'm, I'm, I'm coveting, you know, my neighbor's possessions. I'm coveting my neighbor's wife. Then you're not finding your contentment in the Lord. God is telling you that where you are in the circumstance that you're at, you're going to find fulfillment. You know, this, this is sort of that, 
you know, litmus test of, you know, if if you if you dip this this scripture into your life and realize I'm covetous, like I I want things that don't belong to me, then really what you know the the proof text is then you're not finding your fulfillment in the Lord the way you should. Uh, so then you got to examine like what is it I'm not uh, pursuant of and finding in Jesus Christ that I should be finding. Uh, you know, so so much of what the Lord provides us. Uh, you can see, um, you know, the idea of drug addiction uh, being uh, nothing more than a worship disorder. A lot of people don't examine it that way. You know, we were designed to worship Jesus Christ and the fulfillment that we're supposed to experience with him would lead us to a place of contentment to where we wouldn't want to or need to sedate ourselves. And, you know, I say that as one who's been delivered from alcoholism and drug addiction. You know, I, I understand that, you know, what I was trying to discover, find, fulfill, consume, and those things was actually the Lord himself. You know, he was the thing that filled all of that in my life. And you know, we need to be very careful about how these things might dominate us. Here, the encouragement, you know, your conduct should be without covetousness. Be content. Paul telling Timothy, right, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, the world tells us an entirely different thing. The false teachers within Christianity tell us an entirely different thing. They tell us a worldly perspective, which is what you really want is wealth, prosperity. You know, and if you were truly a Christian filled with faith, then you would have these things. And so then... You know, these poor, uh, ill-taught Christians pursue possessions and material and money, thinking that it's going to fulfill them. The, the concept is they're, they're being taught that, you know, gain the wealth, then you'll have contentment, and then you can concentrate on being godly. Whereas what Paul is saying is that, you know, if you will find in whatever course of life you are, contentment, combined with godliness, that equals great gain. You may have zero on the grand sum of materialism, but if you are living a godly life and content with whatever the Lord has imparted to you, that equals godliness. There are those that teach very contrary to that. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Be it drastic measures keep that in mind right now right as they're saying i'm going to take your job away unless you get the shot i'm gonna you know kick you out of school unless you get the shot i'm gonna you know kick your kids out of school god is going to take care of us you know and that sounds like lunacy to the world but that's only because what they're prescribing is so insane their their whole motivation, their whole direction is so off the wall that when you say, I'm not going to do that, you're the one that looks crazy in their eyes. Uh, stand your ground. Let, let the Lord deliver you. Let him give you what you need. I guarantee, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you will not be in want. You will not be in want. You know, if you're thinking you do not understand, I've got a mortgage, I've got two car payments, 
I'm still paying off school, and you got a long list of things, trust me. Trust the word. God will take care of all of that. He will. I'm not telling you to neglect it, right? We as Christians, above all others, should be the most responsible with the things the Lord has given. I'm not telling you to neglect it. I'm saying stand your ground spiritually. Don't give in. Like John was saying during worship, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are prime examples. I think even more significantly is Daniel. You know, in chapter 9, he watches them change the law and knows, right? Knows that, oh boy, my conduct is going to lead me to the lion's den. There's a lot to that lion's den that's intense. You know, not just the fact that there are lions there. Uh, a lion can leap vertically up to 15 feet. Okay, that means when they take the cover off the hole and they throw you in, the hole's got to be deeper than 15 feet because the lion could leap out. You get a 15-foot fall. You're 90 years old. They're chucking you down a hole where there are lions at the bottom, you know, how did God preserve Daniel just from the fall? Okay. Did he land on warm, soft lions? You know, I don't know. They starve the lions in the hole. They feed them very little all the time. So that when it comes time for execution, right? If you've got a super fat, happy lion down there and you put you know, old bony Daniel down in the hole, he might be uninterested, right? If he's super hungry, Daniel's not going to hardly hit the floor. And that's the way they functioned. Daniel wasn't commanded by the scripture to open his windows and look toward Jerusalem and pray. That was his own personal practice. So it wasn't a violation of, of God's word or his relationship with the Lord to stop doing what they were mandating, right? They put a mandate out and Daniel says, I'm not going to alter my practice of worship for these people. Not going to do it. I will not relinquish my own conscience. Think about that. This isn't even a matter of, I've searched the scripture and I found this passage right here that says, I must do this and I cannot stop doing this. It's not even that. It's just a matter of, this is my own personal practice of worship. And you've now created a law that says my own personal conviction is a violation of your newly created law. Daniel continues in the practice. Right? He could have simply shut the windows, right? Still bowed down in the same direction. No one would have been able to see into the privacy of his home. He opens the windows and he bows down so that it can be plainly seen. I'm still worshiping Jesus Christ. And they throw him in the lion's den. It specifically says, right, that the Lord stopped the mouths of lions. 
in Hebrews it describes that. I, I have too much of an imagination sometimes, I know that. But I just wonder if these lions weren't trying to eat Daniel and couldn't open their mouths. You know, you're a really hungry, hungry lion and all you can do is rub your nose on this guy because the angels are holding your muzzle shut. I don't know how that works. You've seen how a cat extends its claw, you know, has that joint inside and it rolls back inside. They would love to extend their claws, but can't. I don't know how that works out. The Lord prevented it, however it is, right? We know that's a miracle. Trust me when I tell you you're worshiping the same God right now. When your employers and your government and everybody's saying you can't go to church, you can't meet together, you got to wear a mask, you got to be six feet apart, you got to get a shot, you got to. And you're saying no because I worship Jesus Christ, I'm not doing anything other. And somebody's going to say, show us in the scripture where it says that. And you can say, I can tell you where it's written on my heart. It really doesn't matter. This is how I personally am not going to violate the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to allow my body, my soul to be violated by this. So you, you're free to make your choice. See, that's that's what the Lord has provided us with is freedom. And, they, and I'll go the other direction, right? We want to be very careful. We want to be very careful. Because some of our brothers and sisters have gotten the vaccine. And guess what? The Lord loves them just as much as he loves you. Maybe more. Right? The room was no hard amens on that. Maybe more. Right? Why? I don't know why. Maybe because it's so dangerous. Maybe because they were so pressured. It's okay. The freedom is the thing that we're trying to protect, the freedom to choose. Right? It's, it's only the enemy of our soul that takes freedom away. It's only the enemy of our soul that puts a gun to the head and says, you'll obey me right now. The Lord never does that. Even when hell is at stake, he says, it's your choice. You get to choose and I will allow it. And I'll love you even in the process. So, Consider the Lord is our protector, our provider. What can man do to me? Verse 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now here, this is literally saying that the spiritual leaders that we have in our lives we should obey them and follow them. But we should do that through examining their conduct. Okay? When we can examine a person's conduct and see they themselves follow God's word and their life is above reproach, then we are called to follow them. There are those who grab a hold of this and just lord it over those that they minister to. You have to obey me. Don't ask any questions. We're supposed to be able to ask questions, right? We shouldn't have a critical spirit that's always going around and examining everybody with a microscope. But if you can see glaring problem, <laughs> it's okay to say, hey, I've noticed a glaring problem over here. This does not line up with God's word. 
And therefore, right, it isn't a matter of, so I will throw off all godly leadership. It's a matter of saying, I need to find another spiritual leader. Someone who is submitted and subjected to the word of God that I can follow. We're called, right? I'll, I'll point out again, the centurion that comes to Jesus and hey, Jesus is going to go to his house. And he says, no, I don't need you to come to my house. Because I also, and, and this is the thing a lot of people miss. He says, I also am a man under authority. I also am a man under authority. Jesus stops the whole crowd right there and says, that's the kind of faith you want right there. To recognize you're under authority. So many people within Christianity have a mindset like, I am a person in authority. I have authority. I wield authority. Are you a person under authority? Right? Which means... Maybe there's no one under you. Maybe you're just under all authority, right? Humility is is what we're talking about on a grand scale. You know, that centurion says, I have men under me, they obey me. I have men above me, I obey them. You know, the idea of I'm under authority, I'm in authority. I understand what that is. We need to function that way within Christianity. Uh, you know, to, to listen, obey those who rule over us spiritually, considering the, the outcome of their conduct. So if you're going to obey somebody, you want to look at their conduct and consider their conduct. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this pertains to what he was just saying. Uh, it's the idea of, so shouldn't your leadership be that way. There should be consistency, right? If you're submitted to Jesus Christ, you're going to be reflective of his character. Right? If you see somebody that's changing and unstable and all over the place and unpredictable and false one day and true the next day, uh, you probably don't want to follow that guy. The idea of godly consistency is what's being you know, created for us here and, and described. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. And this is the big problem for the Jewish believers, right? Not just so much foods, but all that is the Jewish law. And here it's being encapsulated with the idea of foods. You know, are you all hung up on ham hocks? You can't get past that. You just, you know, you're trying to abide by the Jewish dietary law, thinking that makes you more acceptable to God. He's saying you need to stop thinking that way. You need to be. And I think that the broad generalization, we need to stop thinking that way. That somehow we're going to make ourselves acceptable to God by our outward conduct. We have an altar, verse 10, from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to, to eat. Think about that. These people who <coughs> are all caught up in the law and all caught up in all of these rules and regulations, even today in Christianity, the author of Hebrews is saying we as Christians have the table of bread and wine, the new covenant, Jesus Christ, him sacrificed for us. We get to consume from that table who, if you're caught up in legalism, that table doesn't belong to you. You're not, you're not part of consuming of that table because your table is 
the law. Your table is the sacrifice. Your table is the priesthood of Aaron. You're of something other than Jesus Christ. You know, so especially to these Christians who are being told by the Jews, hey, if you want to become a Christian, you've got to become Jewish religiously, and then you can become a Christian. The author of Hebrews is saying our table is superior to theirs, and you have free access to it, and if they're still hung up on that and calling themselves Jews, understand that they don't get to eat with you. You have the superior that is they have no right to. Whether they're taking communion every week or not, he's saying it doesn't belong to them. They have to be living in grace, and that's how he's going to close this out. Grace is how we are saved, not through these works, not through these outward expressions. You know, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sins are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. They, they, they act like I'm so superior, you know. And in our church, we only do these things and we never do those things and you know, all of the men wear three-piece suits and the women always wear dresses and they never cut their hair and we don't eat certain foods and we only drink certain things and we don't drink other stuff and therefore we're more acceptable to God. Oh, so it's, it's all about your legalistic practices. Well, that's your table. Thank you very much. You go right ahead and observe that. You go to church on Saturday and you think that makes you better. Fine. I mean, if you go to church on Saturday, great. But if you're saying you've got to go to church on Saturday or you won't be acceptable to God, that's false, right? Jesus was rejected by the religious order. He was sent outside the city to be crucified. The author of Hebrews is saying, so let's go join him. Let's leave all of that legalistic junk. Let them have it. And let's go outside to where Jesus was humiliated, right? Let's join him in the humiliation. They want to mock us. They want to put us down. They want to say terrible things about us. That's what they did to Jesus all the way out of the city. Let them mock us as we go meet with him. Think about that. If I tell you, I mean, obviously I'm not you know, saying anything literal here by any stretch of it. If I told you Jesus is going to be here Sunday in person, he's going to be the speaker. Well, well, look, man, I mean, all, and if you knew that was going to be true, somehow, you knew Jesus is going to be at church next week, imagine the joy that would fill your heart, right? And imagine how many people you'd be telling. And when they told you were, you were crazy, if you knew in your heart, that's the case, it's happening, I can't wait, you would gladly drive out of town, come here, let them spit on your car, What you wouldn't care. If you're going to be coupled together with Jesus, if you're going to join Jesus, then let all of those people say whatever they're going to say. This is, this is what you are being given. This is, this is what is at our disposal. right? When I start out tonight saying the angels are here with us, that's what the scripture says. This is our holy gathering. We've come together. Let the world say we're nuts. Let the world say, right, you try to describe these things to your loved ones, and they say, so you've joined a cult. Oh, well, 
Let them say whatever they said. We are joined to Jesus Christ. This is what he's brought us to. Let, let us experience this. Let us, you know, bearing, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, gladly wearing the T-shirt that says Jesus Freak. You know what I'm saying? Just great. Bring it on. For here we have no uh, continuing city, you know, on earth or in Jerusalem, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You shouldn't think of that as always singing. Certainly you should be praising and singing, right? But the praise should be on your lips, spoken, right? You know, I, I've encouraged you many times before, uh, you know, Proverbs saying, you know, blesses the man who walks on the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of the sinner's uh, sits in the seat of the scornful, but in uh, his law he sh shall meditate day and night, and this book of the law shall not depart from his mouth, meaning that the word of God would always be in your mouth. Okay, I, I stop people dead in their tracks uh, by saying publicly, Praise God, you know, at the checkout, you know, at the table, uh, in the restaurant. You know, I, I've encouraged you. Uh, because a common phrase, especially right now, we're gearing back up is people say, what is this world coming to? You know, quickly say an end. Watch the reaction, you know, right behind that feed in. Uh, you should read your Bible. You know what I'm saying? Just the word of God. Just put that in their mind wherever you can. The idea of the praise ever being on our lips, the sacrifice, right? We don't have to dole out huge sum of money and purchase oxen and take them, you know, ship them overseas and then meet our freight on the dock and take the ox up to the altar in Jerusalem and have it. We don't have to go through all that. We can offer, we're commanded to continually offer our praise. This is what we can always give. Continuously giving, not the animals, not the sacrifice, not the priesthood, your lips. And tell me the world does not need that. Your open mouth uttering the gospel in one way or another. It needs to be happening all around us. So that we can continue to offer uh, this um, uh, praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, certainly in church and singing and praising together. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Can't really afford it. Yeah, that's the point. They're in need, but you can't really afford it. Go ahead and give. That's an offering made to the Lord is what the Lord is saying. Don't forget. Why? Because of what he said back in 5, right? Don't conduct yourself with covetousness because the Lord is always going to take care of you. You know, we should have this freedom and don't forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you. So here again, same uh, thought. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I will say bluntly, it is heartbreaking and stressful and really difficult 
to try and minister to and care for and lead someone who's constantly in rebellion. It, it, it is, I'm not talking about like the worldly sense of aggravation and frustration. I'm talking about the spiritual sense of concern for someone's eternity. And, and the fact that, you know, as a minister, you just long to see them successful. You long to see them fruitful. You want to see them experiencing the joy of the Lord. And yet it's, you know, when in those rare other people, you know, just that's who I'm talking. Not you guys, just other people. You know, it's a struggle. It's difficult uh, as a pastor to go through these things. And, and it, do, it creates sleeplessness. And it, and it is difficult as a pastor, you know, the idea of submission. Why? Because it's the fulfillment for the person, right? It's not because I'm so holy and the other person is so sinful that it just bugs me so bad that I feel like going over there and kicking them. You know, it's th that's not it at all. It it's that you want them to experience the fulfillment and the joy of the Lord. And you want them to have to, you know, they maybe they even already have salvation, but you want them to rest in the peacefulness of that salvation. Rather than the struggle and the pain and the difficulty. It's really, so hear what the scripture is saying here. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, some of these last statements, including that, uh, lead a lot of us to think that this is, in fact, Paul, and we have some strong hints here. But it could be someone else uh, that's uh, making these references, uh, even though we see very specific things that we see from Paul's letters. And you're sort of left thinking, like, oh, this has got to be. could be somebody else uh, that's, that's uh, writing this. Um, probably, most specifically, it is Paul. But, um, you know, I think it is, uh, it creates problems if we try to insist that it is. So whoever it is, it's a respected leader and he's desiring to come to them and be restored to you sooner, as he says. And then in verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. What a statement, right? What, what a remarkable statement uh, that was just made. Uh, tell me that isn't, you know, even when we struggle, even when we fail miserably, is that not the desire of every one of us? I can tell you, you know, certainly as a pastor, that's the desire for myself and everyone that is led in this church, you know, that we would see this completion and fulfillment and, and uh, you know, the, the work of the Lord in all things. Working in you uh, what is well-pleasing in his sight uh, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Working through Jesus Christ, not, not through self-help programs, not through the latest devotional, not, not, not through you know, Christian counseling, right? through your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Reading the word, praising him, following him, listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit, being in fellowship with the body of Christ, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, you know, sharing with one another. This is the body and the life of the Christian. 
that that constant sort of you know intermingling of all that is Christ in our lives. You know, not just we're not just compartmentalizing into oh well, boy, tomorrow's Sunday, I better get ready to go to church. So many people do that, right? We'll plug away Monday through Saturday in their typical you know worldly way, you know godless way even. But, oh, you know, tomorrow's Sunday, so I ought to get ready and show up and do the godly thing. And then right back. You know, some people say, well, I'm not, you know, a big party drinker. I don't, you know, I'm not criminal. I don't do anything like that. No, but some people just, like, flip the switch. Like, you know, work week, all work, just, you know, job and business and, you know, no thought. And, you know, then Sunday we we'll do the God thing and then back to they've completely compartmentalized God. To where it's it's only when I'm at church essentially that you know people have a, you know that that sense of being loved needs to be continuous flowing. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation. If I have written to you in few words, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you. If he comes shortly, and you know that's one of the strongest thoughts that this is in fact Paul, but Timothy was known to all the church, so it could be uh, someone else uh, within this uh, discussion. Interesting that he basically says uh, that the book of Hebrews was, you know, a short letter. <laughs> I mean, it isn't all that long a letter, but think about the weight of the subject. Just this really, really. You know, have, have you ever, uh, you know, gotten the directions to put together the, you know, 10,000 part bicycle at Christmas or something? And like you have to read every single line like six times. And then, the, you know, the seventh time you've like got to go through the thing as you're OK. And then I oh, oh turn clockwise. You know what I'm saying? It's just this is an intense letter. There's a lot of weight. Uh, to what's being said here exposes a lot about ourselves and and admonishes us to live in a number of ways so it's it's you know here written as this you know simplistic short letter few words uh, of intensity that are being delivered to us here greet all those who rule over you and all the saints interesting right he makes that distinction you have the leaders and then the saints. So all believers are saints, but then there are the leaders. He doesn't make a spiritual distinction in the idea of superiority or inferiority, but he makes the distinction between the general body of Christ and those who are the leadership. Okay, so within that, we should keep that in mind. Uh, so those from Italy greet you. And once again, everybody jumps up and says, Paul, <laughs> maybe not, you know, I mean, okay. Paul was imprisoned, and we get that, uh, but we don't have this with a certainty. Grace be with you all. Amen. And we all kind of go, yeah, quaint. No, to the Hebrews, right? Not God's law be with you all, <laughs> right? He doesn't close that way. Grace be with you all. The summation of this letter is the closure. Grace be with you all, right? We are saved by faith through grace uh, so that no one can boast. It's just God's grace. Do you need forgiveness? You say, yes, 
asked for it and you got it. And that's how simple the program is. You know, everything else has to do with worship, response, right? It isn't the source of salvation. So the close of Hebrews, quite a, a weighty book. Uh, uh, my intention is to just move forward uh, next week, but uh, I'll pray about that and see where we're going to go. For tonight, um, I'm just going to pray quickly and close so that we can sort of shut down recording and turn off uh, the Internet. But uh, if you've got a couple minutes, we're going to take the opportunity to uh, baptize Pat uh, while we're here. Uh, he asked, so we're going uh, we're gonna to drown him uh, tonight and uh, let the new man rise. So let's stand and we'll pray. I don't know what the camera's doing. It was yelling at me the whole time I was doing the study. So maybe it's on, maybe it's not. Father, I thank you very much for your love and your grace, especially your grace as we complete the book of Hebrews. Lord, I pray that we would all walk in that grace, follow us, minister to us with your spirit, that we could worship you in every way possible. We thank you for what you've done to bring us here this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.